turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We're going to read all five, ver- I'll, I'll read all five verses, and then I'm going to pray for you. Sorry, Tony, I think I only have three verses up there, but we'll read all five verses. Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And God, I thank you this morning that you give your word to undeserving people. And as we're going to read, Lord, you don't just give us your word, you give us the blessing of children. So Lord, help us, God, I pray, in this time to learn to be good stewards of what the gifts you've already given us. Help us to see what you value, what you love, and so shape our hearts around that. Do that, we pray this morning in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been studying in the book of Job, the title for today's talk, I should say, to start, is is Parenting and the Gospel, Shooting Arrows for God's Glory. And now we've been studying in the book of Job, but this week we're going to take a a, a hiatus, a week-long hiatus, to talk about uh, parenting. And not just to talk about parenting, but to talk about children. And why, why do children matter? Why do we care about children? And if you're single here, you're probably like, wow, here's another parenting talk on children that I don't have. But this, this is important for you as well. This is important for everyone, young, old, and everyone. It's important for all of us. And I want us to see that today. Uh, we're going to be looking today at Psalm 127. And it's important that we lay out, if we're going to do a dedication today, we haven't done one in a while, I want us to see what, why. Why do we do dedications as well? So we're going to be looking at an exposition of Psalm 127, but we're also going to be having an eye toward why we dedicate our children. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, there should be a slip of notes in front of you. It'll make it much easier to follow along if you have them. But if you get one thing from today, get this, and I like packing in my points into one succinct statement, it's this. It's the sense God gives us children as a gift to steward. We must do so by sharpening arrows, that is children, with restful wartime mentality for his glory. Let me say that one more time. Since God gives us children as a gift to steward, we must do so by sharpening arrows with a restful wartime mentality for his glory. So I want you to notice something about Psalm 127. 
the, the thing I want you to notice about it is it's a, it's a psalm that's built around human thriving, human, human flourishing, as some would say. And it's interesting, I find it's interesting at least, the way the psalmist kind of lays it out. Listen to how, what he starts off by saying. He says, unless the Lord builds the, sit, builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So notice what he's saying there. And you've got to remember what Israel was thinking about at the time. They were thinking about building houses, building cities for God's glory. And he's literally saying, if you think you're building your house on your own, you're building it in vain if the Lord's not a part of it. And then the rest of verse 1, he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And this, if you notice, there's two real thrusts of this first part of the passage. The first is building, and the second is security. And it's simply this, if the Lord doesn't build it, it won't last. And if the Lord doesn't watch over the city, it won't be protected. And then he says in verse 2, he says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And Solomon's very clear emphasis here is that since God is the one who gives us all these things, we can go to sleep at night. We can rest. We can be ones who don't eat the bread of anxious toil, but we can be ones who sleep. But then in verse 3, he says something really kind of striking to our 21st century mindset. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So I want you to see if you're taking notes, the, the reward of children. The reward of children. It's a gift from God. The, the reward of children, the gift of God. Read it again in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. So that word heritage, it's kind of fallen out of use. Uh, but basically, when someone would pass away, we, we get something in our own society called an inheritance. An inheritance is basically when all the thing, when somebody passes away, all that they have is given to another. And this is basically what he's saying here. Children are a heritage. Now, the Lord's not passing away. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is they're the fruit of the womb, a reward. That's what we need to see. They're a gift from God. And there's several implications of this, and I want to talk about each of them. Children, in every circumstance, are a gift. I want to say that one more time. For all the people in the back, even. Children, in every circumstance, are a gift. They are never an inconvenience. They are never a burden. They are never a mishap, quote-unquote. Do you agree with that? And again, you don't have to answer. I'm not asking you to answer. But maybe you would agree that some of your children are a gift from the Lord. Except that one. (laughs) That one really annoys me. They're always a, a gift from the Lord. But what Solomon says here is more profound. He says every child is a gift from the Lord. And I want us to see that we as a church need a posture of life. A posture of life. Valuing what God values. Now what I'm saying today is very... um, how would I put it, culturally offensive. Uh, The concept that children are a gift from God has many, many counter-cultural assumptions. If you pay attention to your culture, you will see a tenor of people in grocery stores that when a child screams, they just kind of scowl. They give one of those looks. 
Or they see a big family and they're like, ah, why do you have so many kids? Right? Maybe others don't see this, but if you pay attention, you'll see it. People become annoyed. They become frustrated over what? Children. And the Bible's telling us here, no, no, no. They're a gift from the Lord. Even in their annoyances. Even in, when they're frustrating. From annoyance of a child screaming in a grocery store to the grotesque assumption that children are disposable through abortion. I want you to listen to a quote from Planned Parenthood. And we all, I know, that's like saying the boogeyman in some way, but I want you to listen to this quote. This has nothing to do with abortion, actually. This is what they would say their purpose is. Parenting is a lifelong commitment. Great, all all good with it so far. So no matter when you decide, there it is. (laughs) That's the piece. Underline, highlight. When you decide to become a parent, you've got to be totally sure it's what you want to do for a very long time. And if we don't see this assumption, we'll never see the abortion assumption. If we don't see the assumption that when you decide, no, 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 they're a gift from the Lord. As Planned Parenthood has said, they believe that deciding when to become a parent is completely up to us. And what that does in one failing swoop is it puts a plate over heaven and says God isn't the one who gives children. And that's not true. That is a falsehood. Listen to where other places in Scripture. When children are withheld, then it is God who withholds them. Genesis 29.2. Or, I'm sorry, Genesis 32. Uh, he says, am I, this is Jacob responding to Rachel when they couldn't have children. He says, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So, so they're trying to have children, but he's saying, am I in the place of God? Can I, can I be the one who gives you children in that way? He's saying, no, the Lord is the one who withholds, and the Lord, on the flip side, is also the one who gives. Genesis 33, 5. He says, the children whom God, this is Jacob responding to Esau, says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Okay, so now there's many implications we could spend all day looking at, but I just want you to see that simple one, that we need a posture of life, valuing what God values. Children are never an inconvenience, they're never a burden, they're never a hardship, they are a gift. Listen to Psalm 139, if you don't believe me. For you, this is, this is the psalmist talking about children even in that way, talking about himself. He says, for you, that's the Lord, you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, that's to the Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. So this means that even when children have deformities, medical issues, even physical or psychological impairments, they are a gift. This this implies, this applies not just to individuals, but it also applies to all of us. Even if you never have a child or you are being taken away from having a child, you need to have a posture that says children are a gift. In, in, in the large service, even when there's noise, they're never an annoyance. They are the fruit that God has given to this church. Praise be to God. God, God has multiple ways of bringing people into the kingdom. He, he could do it through evangelism. We could go to our neighbor and, and bring him in. Or he could grow us 
in that way. So praise be to God. Since children are a gift, then we, there's an implication now, then we must be good stewards of that gift. Because gifts are not something that we deserve. Those will be rights. We're, we don't have rights. We have gifts. So there's a stewardship, stewardship of our gift. And I want to call this giving up our rights. Now I ask our parents, me included, because we're the one dedicating Simeon and Elise today, to read a book called Dedicating the Lord. And I thought it was really helpful in it. They talked about giving up our rights. And this is what it means to dedicate a child. But I want you to see more where we see this in Scripture too. So we're entrusted by God to take care of our children, to provide for them, to protect them. But we do not own them. We do not own them. They're not many slaves for us until the age of 18, and then they leave. They're not people that are just an annoyance until they're out the door. No, 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 no. They're to be stewarded for God's glory. So the first point I want you to see is direction. This is one of giving up our rights. It's direction, the course of life. Now, I'm going to be bringing a bunch of texts of Scripture together for you to see this, but all based on Psalm 127. But the first is Proverbs 22.6. This is one that's always mentioned. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, like we've been talking about, we've been talking about so much from the Proverbs and from Job and from so many different places. But Proverbs is like the grain of life, right? And I want you to, make, I want you to notice something. I want to be very clear about something from Proverbs 22.6, that Proverbs are not promises, okay? So you can raise your child, you can do what this text is saying, you can train your child in the way he should go, and he may depart from it. This is not a promise that the Bible's beating us over the head with. This is a, this is a, this is a direction, if you do this, this likely will happen, but it's not a promise. And I've heard people use it in that way. It's not a promise. And one author, he said, that another way to put this actually, this, this verse, is to dedicate a child according to what, and to what his way demands. We are to be ones who take, like a chi- if a child is a plant, we are to be the ones who monitor the way the plant is, is growing. Now this does not mean we let it be unwielding. Listen to this quote from one, one commentator. He said, Let a boy do what he wants, and he will become a self-willed adult, incapable of change. I want you to hear that one more time. Let a boy do what he wants, and he will become a self-willed adult, incapable of change. Raise him in accordance with his wayward heart, and he will stay wayward. That is the truth. So that's not it. It's not just to say, okay, child, you grow however you want. It's to shape them. It's to shepherd them and form them in the direction they need. It requires a close ear and a close eye on them to direct them, to, to help them keep, keep what God says. And yet at the same time, when they break those rules, so whether they're little, little rebels in your home, or whether they're little self-righteous moralists that keep all the rules, they need parented differently. They need shepherded differently. So how do we go about doing that? Well, let me give you just one, one way I think I see from Scripture here. So it's the difference of goals versus hopes. It's the difference of goals versus hopes. Now a goal, I have two definitions here for you. A goal is set a, setting a plan for what we have control over. 
And I would argue, you go talk to your neighbors about how they parent, their unbelieving neighbors, and they would have many, many goals for their children, okay? I want to be clear about this. A goal is setting a plan for something we have no control over. So we ought to, as parents, never set goals in the sense of this something that we have control over, trying to manipulate the direction of their life. No, I would argue we do the second, the latter, which would be called hopes. Now, a hope it is, is a desire that you would like to see happen. So, and you, parents that have raised children, you know, there comes a point where you can't control them anymore. <laughs> there comes a point where I can't do anything about this. I want to help you, but I can't. But this, this is what we need to see. Hopes. We need desires that we would like to see happen within the children. Rather than setting goals for them, we need to have hopes for our children. Now listen to even Jesus. This comes right out of, even from Jesus' own lips when he's talking about stewarding and talents that are given to people. Now I want to be clear. This passage is not explicitly talking about marriage. or I'm sorry, about parenting, about children. But I would argue that children could be one of the talents that Jesus is talking about. So in, in Matthew 5, 25, 14 through 15, he says this. He says, for it will be like a man, this is the kingdom. He says, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So there's the piece. I want you to see how it's like parenting. It's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two, and to another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this. The story goes that the servants, some of them invested the talents given to them. That some, some, were, some invested and, and to which the Lord responded, well done, good and faithful servant. But there was a third servant who, who was given one talent, and rather than investing it, what he did was he buried it in the ground. And his reasoning, listen to his reasoning in 24 and 25. He said, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Okay, so this first guy, or the third guy, he took what God gave him, and he buried it in the ground. And he said, I... I know you reap where you don't sow, and I'm just fearful I'm going to screw it up, so I'm just going to bury it. And I want to say, no, that's not what we do with our children. We don't bury them and say, well, I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to screw you up. No, we, we shepherd them, and we always come back to Holy Scripture to do so. I need to get moving because I'm running out of time. So I'm going to move on from this. We could talk all day about this, but let's go into the next one. I want you to see that the next thing we're to steward is the timetable. It's, 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 it's on God's time. Now, last week, if you remember, we looked at the theology of Bildad from Job, and he basically, here, here was his theology. Good things come to good people, and bad things come to bad people. And my fear with a theology like that is that we apply that then to parenting. And it's like, if, if I can just, as a parent, do well enough, then my kids will come to faith. Or if I just discipline consistent enough, they'll come to believe. Or if if they would just listen to what I say and stop listening to their friends, then they'll be saved. And this stewarding of God's timetable says we have no ability in ourselves to save our children. 
I want that at the same time to feel like you're riding on a roller coaster of like, oh my goodness, and at the same time bring great relief that you have not the ability to save your children. You have no ability to do so. You cannot bring them to faith yourself. But when it comes to stewarding, now I want to be clear about this. We are to raise them. There are obligations that we have to parent, but we are not in charge of bringing them to faith. Now we pray to that end. We pray for them. We faithfully parent them. We faithfully discipline them. But there is nothing you can do to bring it about. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So that's the, that's the third one, or the second one. Here's the third one. It's committing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now we've seen in Job, we've been looking at Job and we saw when Job lost all his children, he lost all his family, he lost everything. I want you to hear again the words that he said in response. He says, the Lord gave, verse 21, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. One of the greatest acts of faith for a parent to their children is to recognize and acknowledge that God's sovereign hand is over them. I want, to, I want you to, there was a, there was a great example from the book that just brought me to tears even as I, even as I read it. I want to read it to you. There's a situation. Uh, so on, on Sunday, July 7th, 1991, Steve and Laura Johnson stood before the congregation of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, holding their second-born child, 10-week-old Grant Christopher. Steve and Laura solemnly and earnestly made the promises you're going to hear this morning Eighteen days later, they were standing in the same room, in the same spot, only this time they were not holding Grant in their arms. Instead, his lifeless body lay in a little white casket. Two days before Grant had gone down for his nap, he stopped breathing. And as they sat in the hospital room, they kept repeating the phrase through tears, we surrender worldly claims on our child. We have no ability to save our child. We have no ability to keep our children alive. We have no ability to do any of those things. Now, Steve and Laura did not expect their son's life to be so short. But in the moment of heartbreaking loss, they kept the promise, entrusting their son by faith to the wisdom of God and the gracious God who'd given, them, given him to them. So I want you to see that just as we think about commitments. We are giving we're giving them over to the Lord. He's already theirs. Whether you do it or whether you don't, he's already theirs. You don't really have an option on that way. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So I want you to see, though, in the rest of this verse, in Psalm, so if you go back to Psalm 127, we're going to finish out here looking at the last two verses. So in verse 4, I want you to see the weapon, the weapon of children, and it's an arrow in the hand. Now that's really interesting what Solomon's been saying. He's been talking about building. He's been talking about security. But now he says that children are like an arrow. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. (laughs) And it's almost sheer irony that the author says, yeah, children are a great gift from the Lord. Oh yeah, by the way, they also make excellent weapons to crush the head of Satan. But it's true. This is what he says right here. Because here's the thing. We have a present war. 
It's our present war. We are in the midst of a blood feud. And whether you want to be in it or whether you don't want to be in it, you're in it. And Solomon is assuming that the people of God have been in a war. And we've been in a war since the beginning. Genesis 3, 15. He says, I will put, this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I call this a blood feud because God promised the serpent that a seed of the woman would crush his head one day. And we see that ultimately accomplished in Christ. But at the same time, Holy Scripture can say, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So another way that we do war in that way is actually bear up our children, is to raise them up. And the seed of the serpent represents everything that opposes God and his kingdom. And the seed of the woman represents everything that's in Adam. Which is why Paul, in a later place, can say, just before he talks about the greatest passage on spiritual warfare, he can say these words. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Isn't that interesting? Before the whole passage of, of put on the belt of truth, pick up the shield of faith, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Now this task is for both fathers and mothers. But the special focus of the New Testament is for fathers to take the initiative. He says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And I want to call this law and gospel. Law and gospel. Sharpening our arrows. And this is what I would argue it means to bring up your children in the fear, in, in the nourishment, and the admonition of the Lord. And that word he uses for discipline could also be used for the word nourishing. Feed your children in this way. So it's law and gospel. And at this point, I want to pause and ask a question that I haven't even considered thus far. What is the difference between Christian parenting and every other type of parenting? What's the difference between Christian parenting and Islamic parenting? What's the difference between Christian parenting and Jewish parenting? What's, what's the difference between Christian parenting and secular parenting? Is, is there a difference? Do, do all parents act the exact same way? Or are we meant to parent our children in that way? Do, does our parenting, does Christian parenting look radically different? And I would contend, absolutely. Everything we've said thus far a Jewish person would agree with. Did you know that? Everything I've said thus far, they would agree with. Full, full out. Yeah, of course. Unless the Lord builds the house, of course. But children are a heritage from the Lord, of course. But this is where we depart. It's at this point that we see explicit Christian parenting. So I want you to notice the law. And I'm calling this the discipline or the nourishment. So listen to just three different passages on, on discipline or nourishing our children in this way. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Or discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Or Proverbs 20, 22, 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Discipline is extremely important in the economy of how we parent. 
As Hebrew tells, Hebrews tells us, it's as important because God, the Father, shows His love for us in, when He disciplines us. But the question is, what happens when the law is all you have? And I would argue, every non-Christian you know, every person who is not parenting with the gospel is only just beating their children with the law. And now that can look really sweet. It can look like a mother saying, honey, do this. Here's a cookie. It can look like, do this, son. It can look many different ways. It has many different veneers, okay? But apart from Christ, we are not parenting in a Christian manner. If the law is all we have, we end up shoving the law down our children's throats. We end up trying to corral them with the law. We end up manipulating them through legalism, or manipulation or legalism. But true Christian parenting brings something more to our children. Listen to what he says again in Ephesians 6, 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't, don't push them to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline, in the nourishment So basically, spank them. Spank them when they're bad. But he doesn't end there. He says, and instruction of the Lord. Now that word for instruction just sounds like, okay, just stand there and teach them. Just lecture them. No, 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 no. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 uses the exact same root word that's being used right there. Listen to what he says. You tell me if this sounds like like instruction. Him, we that's Christ, we proclaim Warning everyone and teaching everyone. That word teaching, exact same root word. Everyone, so teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, hear that last piece, mature in Christ Jesus. When our children fail, if we just bring the law, we will crush them. We will either crush them or make them hard-nosed legalists. What they need is they need the gospel. They need the exact same thing you need. They need the exact same thing you and I need. It's not cold, calculated lecturing. It's warm, loving instruction that presents the goodness of the gospel to our children. So when our children fail, we don't just spank them and say, now learn your lesson next time. Do better. Stop being terrible. We can bring to them and say, honey... I understand exactly what you're like because I'm just like you. You need the gospel. You need to repent because there's been one who's come and he's died on your behalf. That's why. So turn from your sins. This is showing our children how sinful and broken they are while simultaneously showing them, bringing them to the one who suffered and died for sinners. Listen to Colossians 3. It's the same word again. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There it is. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So, so the way we instruct our children is not just do better. Listen to mommy. Now there's a piece of it. Hear me rightly. We, they need to listen to mommy and daddy. They need to listen to the, to the congregation in that way. But we do so by presenting Jesus Christ and him crucified. So here's the result. Let me show you the the last piece of this. The result. The result of children. And I'm calling this restfully sharpening. Restfully sharpening. 
He said, blessed, verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. The picture I want you to have in your mind is of a man who goes out to war with his enemies at the city gate. And as he goes out to them, the children that he's raised, the children that he's reared, are all standing right behind him. And this is, at some level, the picture it's, it's the building and protecting from rest, okay? And I want you to see, there's a verse here that I haven't even touched on yet. Notice verse, three, verse 2, the end of verse 2. So the, the building is something that God does. So unless the Lord builds the house, then in verse 3 he talks about the children being a fruit, being a reward, and then he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, and oh yeah, by the way, the Lord has given you arrows to fight with, But then he says something in verse 3, or verse 2, that I don't want you to miss. It's in vain that you rise up early and go relate to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep, or he gives to his beloved rest, if you will. We don't parent from a position of duty, we don't parent from a position of obligation, we parent from a position of rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, and let me take some ad-libs with this text. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden with parenting, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Since God gives us children as a gift to steward, we must do so by sharpening our arrows with restful wartime mentality for his glory. So now I want to move to our last point, and it's really moving into the question of why do we dedicate our children? So why do we do children dedications? And what are we saying when we do them? So dedicating our children Dedicating our children, set apart for Christ. Now, the word dedicate simply just means to set apart, to consecrate to the Lord, to devote wholly and earnestly to Christ. So the question is, is there anything in the Holy Scripture about this? Well, yes. Um, in Luke 2, just to give you one example, there's multiple others we could talk about. But at Luke, in Luke 2, it says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. This is talking about the Lord Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time had come for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So he, he was dedicated in the temple. Now we're not under the law. I want to be very clear. So the question is, is this mandated in Scripture? The answer is no. This is not mandated in Scripture. But it is meant to be a public display of covenant accountability and humility. When we stand up here, and you're going to see multiple parents, it's not just me, this Sunday is me, in the next four months you're going to see four different parents standing up here and and dedicating their children. And I want to be very clear, this has zero, zero, big old goose egg salvific merit in it. It is just as important for the parents' dedication as it is for the child dedication. It's the parents saying, God, I need you. Church, I need you. 
So if you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I'm single, Daniel. I don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking about children? This involves you. Because if you're going to be a part of this body, that means you're going to be a part of interacting with our children. Now, I want to be very clear as well. This is not the equivalent of infant baptism. I know some denominations practice infant baptism. This is not what we're doing. An infant person who practices infant baptism believes that a child is part of the new covenant community by being born into the family. And we just don't believe that. That's functionally not what we believe. What we believe, though, is those who have experienced the second birth, the spiritual birth, the church. And baptism is only for individuals who've been born again. So I want to move now. Uh, let, me, let me hit this last point. So how then do children fit into this community? If we're, if we're saying when they're born, they're not immediately a part of the community, how are they in this community? I would put them that they are a part of this community in as much as we, as a body of believers, guard them and shepherd them in their spiritual, in their spiritual walk. Parents are called to be faithful in raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We believe, though, that God uses means of grace to bring people to faith. And sometimes that is through parents. So for children to be born into this community means that we as a church are to be spiritual guardians. And the parents, as, as, and again, this is, this is me today, but it's going to be someone else here in the next couple weeks, couple months. Um, I want you to notice, and I'm going to bring this last piece to you. There was a study done, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, I'm forgetting what it was. But they, they listed five elements that were true of, pe- of children that's, that remained in the church. And one of those elements, I just want to give it to you here to show you the importance of why, why you as a church are necessary in raising our children. Two of the five elements had actually nothing to do with the parents themselves. It had one of, the, one of the pieces, one of the five elements of why children remained in the church was that someone else from the church knew them. Someone else from the body of believers didn't just know them, but they cared about them, and they invested in them. Let me give you a second one. That, so, so two of five had to do with not just the parents, but actually the body of believers they were a part of. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, I'm saying to you as, as a body, we need you. Desperately. Desperately. So it's not just for the, so the person to be known. The second piece is that he would have relationships outside of his parents within the body of believers. So we're going to move now to taking some vows. I think there's a video. Tony, if you want to play that, you can go ahead and play that video.